0: lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. All right,
1: welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I am Chris is that really how you're starting?
0: <laughs>
1: Probably, yeah. Okay. Welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm your <laughs> So we were messing around uh, with microphones before we started the show, and I did that, and Murdoch said my voice sounded deeper, so I thought, might as well just keep talking like that so I don't sound like a... I have such a high pitched voice. Wait, so are you keeping the first one in there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And uh, I'm keeping this in there. So. Okay, then
2: people will understand. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Things were happening and yeah. I wasn't sure. So I just <laughs> sat there with the look on my
1: face. <laughs> it's small talk. Remember that stuff you struggle with? Yeah. Yeah. Just like that.
0: <laughs> when you point it out, it gets worse. <laughs>
1: All right, let's get it to the show. The. We did. No, I meant like into the book. Let's get. Let's just dive into Nahum.
0: Okay. Like, yeah, you're yeah, just yeah, like, oh, the small talk yeah, thing isn't happening. Talk, let's just.
1: We are horrible at drive that. Drive around that obstacle. Yeah. yeah. Small talk for me is is something I could do, but I, I was talking to Justine. There are certain points in small talk where I just stop caring, and the <laughs> moment I stop caring, I wish I could be that person who could just stay in the conversation and act normal. But the moment I stop caring, I just walk away, or I'm like, you could tell I've definitely tuned them out.
2: Yeah, I'm so awkward. I will just walk up into conversations and just stand there awkwardly and might say something, might not. And it, I leave the same way. I'm really bad. So I'm yeah. so glad that when Delilah's with me in social situations, because she's so good at talking with people. And when I hear her talking, what she's asking stuff, I'm like, oh, I'm actually interested in those things. I just wouldn't think of asking them. And they seem so basic. It's just like, well, just care about the person. What's going on? I don't know. So, Delilah, I need your help. I know you <laughs> listen to the show. I,
1: I need your help. We need her to help us start the show. Hey, there's Maybe, an idea. There's an idea. Just have her for the first five minutes of conversation. Her and Justine, I mean, we had them on already. We've seen how that went. We wouldn't be able to say anything, so... Maybe that'd be a good intro. Maybe Just be better, like them yeah. talking, and then yeah. we'll nerd out. Yeah.
2: It's funny. I've, on the last episode, I talked about that I've never seen Star Trek, and... Delilah and I's friend, years ago, we were at a thing. There was some event at her store or something, and he was there. And I knew that he really cared about Star Wars and Star Trek. I think I might have brought the story up before. Like, he actually could tell you, like, what planet Han Solo's gun was manufactured on. Oh, that's a little too much caring. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, So I was trying to tell him that, like, oh, yeah, like, if it came down to it, the Millennium Falcon could totally just, like, destroy the Enterprise and it triggered him and he went (laughs) off and I think I walked over to Delilah and just leaned in her ear and said I've never seen Star Trek I don't care about
1: this at all (laughs) Um,
2: I'm such a good person
1: Yeah, yeah we're better than that that was a long time ago that was in our past that was a few
2: years ago that was actually during a period when I was not really seeking God so that explains
1: a lot I am a better person now there you go yeah Yeah. all right nahum 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 uh quick overview nahum is part of the minor prophets or the book of the 12 it preaches the doom of assyria and more specifically the destruction of nineveh why are you laughing (laughs) just the way he said doom and i thought you were gonna make another nahum like yeah the doom the doom of nahum
2: (laughs) yeah there you go hey Uh, that's that's not bad
1: how do? because it wasn't nahum's doom maybe he's do me, Nahumi? I don't know. I'm losing it. And then the third one is the God uh, that God will bring justice to this wicked empire. So that's really, if we're looking to sum up what it is or an overview over it real quick, that's what we're looking at with this book. Yes, we are. And I feel more comfortable calling this a book because Nahum says it's the book of Nahum. So. Yeah, it's the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Yeah. Uh, and really getting into that idea. So we talked about it last week, um, but the Assyrians, the, like, this empire was evil. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was really, really evil. So uh, there's this guy named Boyce. He spent his life discovering, the uh, like, these great stones and pillars, kind of the one I read last week from uh, Shanaburub or whatever his name is, his prism. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Uh, that the Assyrian empire, they, like, they put these everywhere. So he's... Gone through a lot of these and like translated them over. And so here's some of the things, because obviously, if you're an empire, you like to brag about your conquests. So here's just a few of what some of them said. He said, uh, One king wrote, We cut the heads off our enemies. We formed them into pillars on each side of the city gate, dared no man to touch them just to let them know the Assyrians had passed this way. Another general writes, I skinned alive the chief men who had revolted. I covered their pillars with their own skin, uh, many within the borders of that si- of that land I filleted, and I spread their skin upon the city walls. Another Assyrian general wrote on his tablet or whatever, uh, I skinned the king alive in front of the city of Arabella. I spread his skin upon the city wall to let them know that they have a new king. Another one writes, and, and they don't get better. Uh, I cut off the limbs of the officers, the royal officer who had rebelled. 3,000 of the people were buried alive or were burned alive with fire. Their corpses we formed into pillars on each side of the city gate. And then the last one is, we made one pillar of the living on one side of the road, a pillar of their heads on the other side of the road. Then we bound the heads to the posts and set them, and set them around the city to let them know the Assyrians had passed away or passed this way. So again, it's just, they were evil, right? So when we talk about them like, I think we can lose sight of how evil a nation could be because of you know being removed from it for so long and and living in a more civilized time. Yeah,
2: and even in that, I think we are so far removed that, and because what most people are exposed to of the ancient world you know at least within western culture might be the old testament you know as far as what's giving an historical account other than like oh we learned about greek and roman gods and whatnot but you're learning about philosophers and like you know the pantheon but you're not really getting into the history of what ancient worlds were like like that especially not in elementary and middle school like whatever so a lot of people and it's just what was the ancient world like if you get exposed to the old testament and then you see that the Israelites were going maybe and like getting in these battles. And when they go into Canaan and they wipe out people and stuff and you go like, man, the Israelites, that's an evil God that they're going and wiping out people. And just, we don't think of what the other people are like. And like you just said, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, when you get into the, um, the Nephilim tribes in Canaan, and it's the same kind of thing, like the wickedness and the evil that was being carried out in practice we just don't have, mm-hmm. what is that? We don't have like a framework for that. Yeah, I guess we can watch movies, but then even then we think, oh yeah, that was a movie and it's
1: somewhat fantasy. It's like, no, these people were living through this. I mean, you could think of like 300 as an example of a movie during that time. I just watched that movie. Again the for day. the first time or? No, no, no. no. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, like that kind of fantasizes the whole thing of what they were actually doing. And this was war. Uh, I-, I also saw somewhere that many countries would just uh, surrender. They would send like, a kind of like 300 did, right? Mm-hmm. Where they sent the messenger. and, and They sent that first troop yeah, and they're yeah. like, oh, there's everyone else well, pulling in. Well, they sent the first messenger, right? And the guy comes up and he's like, the king of, uh, King Xerxes is yeah. saying he's coming and he wants your land. And the guys are like, boom kicks him down the hole and i I forget the famous line that goes with that this is sparta yeah yeah that one and um then the first troop and all the other waves start coming i was saying they killed like the first wave you're like okay cool (laughs) and then they look on the ocean like oh no yep we're in trouble and that's the brutality of what it was so they would send the messenger and uh many kings and people would just say okay we surrender or they would pay uh and pay the tributes to Assyria so that way they wouldn't come there I I saw this too it said uh, that one king um, before the Assyrian army approached stabbed himself in the chest like he just said nope I'm not gonna deal with this and just killed himself so and that's the thing he's just like I know what awaits me if the Assyrians take me I'd rather just die yeah they, like we read, they impaled people, uh, they flayed them, they grinded their bones, they amputated limbs, uh, they uh, would blind people, they would castrate people, they would burn them alive, and would burn small children alive too, and, and all of this. So again, why are we bringing this up? This seems more of like what we did in the last episode. Why bring this up uh, to framework framework it around what we know in the Bible? This is the the nation that God sent Jonah to, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times Jonah gets a bad rap of like, oh, he ran away. He didn't do what God called him to do. This is the king and the nation that God was like, go tell them. And I wrote it down here in my notes. It said, preach against it because its wickedness has come upon me. Like it wasn't, here's the good news of the gospel type thing that we have today that we could go to take people. It was preach against you. People are evil. You people are doing wrong. And God's going to judge you. So uh, we talked about this yesterday a little bit. Like for us to fully understand it, I I used the example of uh, North Korea, right? It would be like going to the president of North Korea and saying, God's going to judge you. And you, you gave another one. Yeah. Just any of the ISIL countries going over there. Yeah. So to really understand what Jonah was dealing with, it was like, yeah, of course he was like, nah, I don't, I don't know about this one. And yeah. That's what we're trying
2: to make it more real because when you see that these they're filleting people, they're impaling them on spikes, they're doing all of these things, and just the general reputation. I brought it up last time that that's part of where Assyria just fell apart as an empire is because everyone inside of it was like, This is too brutal, and didn't like you know, they were really trapped under the weight of it but this was the first empire like there had nothing been there had never been anything like it before and it was just literally crushing their enemies and just everything that's there and to really put yourself into that that that's the empire and it's like oh yeah here's just me Jonah that who knows what I was doing before this but now God wants me to literally go to the capital walk the streets of these people and go tell the king this man. Yeah, I'm I'd be pretty scared. Yeah, yeah. I'd be petrified. like, I don't know if I'd be like, oh, I, I want to be disobedient, so let me go to the other ends of the earth and get away. I'm like, I really
1: don't want to go be around that right now. <laughs> I'm going to need a few people to pray and fast with me about this. We're going to have to like lay out the fleece, bust a Gideon, and really see if this is what God wants. God, the fleece is wet, but <laughs> it's not that wet. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as wet as I thought it would be. Yeah, and this is the thing. And the trippy part of what we get from Jonah is that they did repent. The king did. uh, We talked about it last week. The king, the cows, everybody put on sackcloth and ash. I don't know how cows are doing it, but it says it that they did it uh, just to show that this nation was sorry for their actions or had come to the terms of like, if we don't change our ways in some sense, judgment will come. And I think it's really important that Jonah is read. We talked about this a lot. What we're seeing in this series is that there's a complementary book to one of these uh, other books. And Jonah is one. And I think Habakkuk, which we'll cover next week, is. Like, this is a trilogy of books. It's Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk. um, But Jonah being read in in front of it is important because uh, it it gives us this really cool truth that anyone who's willing to repent, no matter how far they've gone, God has mercy and compassion on them. He is willing to spare them, forgive them, and reconcile them. And that's what Jonah shows us. Like, this was Nineveh. They were part of this nation, and they repented, and God will allot this to them if they show themselves that way.
0: Yeah,
2: and going with that, though, I think that what we see in Nahum is God is patient, but his patience does run out. Mm-hmm. He holds back his wrath, but there's a time when his wrath does boil over. And any time up before that point, there's a time for repentance. But then there does come a time where it's like, no, judgment is in action now. And there's other places in scripture where it talks about... um, it's definitely not on the same scale, but you have Esau like wanting to repent mm-hmm. and finding no place for repentance, and then that even gets related to you know, the sinner or the Christian that turns away and finds no place for repentance and and having that. but the idea that God is very gracious, but he's not mocked.
1: yeah, yeah, and on the flip side of of what I said earlier, we have that if we refuse to repent, we refuse forgiveness, we refuse God's mercy. Then we're left to the consequences of what we've done, and we are left in judgment. That's the story of Jonah to Nahum. Like, that's what we see. And it's uh, this awful, vile, really, really oppressive capital of Assyria, of the Assyrian Empire, uh, repents. And then we're like, well, what changes, right? What happens in between that, what is it, like 50 to 100 years between Jonah to Nahum? And I read this, and I thought it was really cool. It was in a commentary. It said, Uh, Nahum's focus on Nineveh compels the reader to see this book in comparison with Jonah which also has Nineveh as its focus and then it's Targum Jonathan Mm -hmm. addresses this question in its introduction to Nahum in former times Jonah the prophet prophesied against her and she repented for her sins but then when she sinned again Nahum prophesied against her as it is written in his book the implicit message of the 12 to the reader is that God's forgiveness cannot be taken for granted. Although the Lord is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing, it is disastrous to presume upon the Lord's grace. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're talking about, yeah. and this is what we really see between this. So that for me, looking at this, if I were to like preach this, it would be, what we do with grace is important. Yeah? And
2: that's where I was thinking, kind of related to that point earlier you were talking about, he didn't really go with the gospel message. I was like, he kind of did. It's like, hey, you've been doing wickedness. God will judge you for your wickedness. And the response was repentance and grace. But like, isn't that kind of how we put it out there? Obviously, we've got Jesus and like the assurance and grace and in forgiveness and his blood being shed and Holy Spirit, like it goes beyond. But to an extent, it's like, hey... You've
1: sinned against the holy God. I guess what I was saying was that fun, lovey uh, gospel message that sometimes gets preached. You know, just all you have to do is do this and you get into heaven and you've got your golden ticket type thing. So even in that situation, is the gospel
2: being preached? No, because if it's missing repentance, (laughs) right? Like,
1: you know, like that's the big key. So he was going to this nation and saying like, hey, your wickedness is coming before not your God, but it's coming before the God. The God Almighty, the God above.
2: Yeah, and in that, if there's no repentance, where we saw repentance with Jonah, here in Nahum chapter 1, verse 3, when you, you quoted, the Lord is slow to anger, great in power. And it goes on, the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And we were talking about this just throughout the week as far as forgiveness and the need for repentance in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And that if... Somebody has sinned against you or sinned against God. If there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness. Now, you can get to the point of kind of pardoning that person, which isn't the same as forgiveness. It's basically saying, I'm going to give this over to God as far as the hurt and how did you word it? The hurt and the pain? Yeah, basically, <laughs> hurt yeah. and pain is kind of sinning. But basically, I'm going to give this to God, but we can't be reconciled until mm-hmm. there's repentance. But then if somebody comes and they repent, and you're reconciled, then they're not guilty anymore, right? And that's what God is looking for, is a contrite heart with repentance. Because he's not like, well, no, you did a thing, so I need to keep punishing you for it. It's like, no, that's the extent of what needs to happen here. And we can see that what Nahum is senti- setting up is that uh, Nineveh is guilty and will be punished for that.
1: And the beauty of what it all is, is that like, grace when we look at it, like to bring it down into the simplest idea is like, it's uh, undeserving, right? We are all deserving of condemnation. And that's where, uh, you know, the wickedness of everything that we've done and everything that we will do uh, deserves condemnation. But grace comes in and like you said, it erases it. It takes it away. It, you're reconciled. It's, it's forgotten, which makes it so important, which makes it so special that God's grace is there. And again, it's not deserved. So when we take it, and, and say like, oh, I like this, but then we start taking it for granted. That's where we run into problems. That's where we could get into issues. Uh, John Piper said, grace is simply not leniency when we have sinned. Grace is the enabling gift of God not to sin. Yep. Grace is power, not just a pardon. And, and I really love that definition from, mm-hmm. from John Piper there, because it sums it up very well for us. How is it that Paul
2: says it? Is it, heaven forbid, that you would use grace as a license to
1: keep sinning? Yeah.
2: And because that's the wrong way of thinking, oh, God forgives. And that goes back to what you quoted earlier, too, about presuming on God. And it's just no grace. What you do with it, as you were saying, is it should elicit the proper response of seeing yourself, seeing God. Well, what do I do with this? Yeah, that I am undeserving, but I've been shown grace. I've been shown favor. I've been shown mercy. And for what purpose? Why would God show me this grace? for me to stay the same? Is mm-hmm. that what this good God wants for? Like, hold on. Like, let me think through this. Like, he sees something in me. He did this for a purpose. And you know to to go with that rather than yeah, you're just you're just
1: smacking God in the face if you're taking grace and you're like, "Oh, ah,
0: man.
2: Cool. I get to go to heaven when I die." And like, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: I think one of the important things to remember as we read this book, too, when you look at it from everything that we're talking about, the, this is why there's purpose behind it if bringing up what the Assyrians and Nineveh and the repentance story in Jonah is important because through uh, Nahum, God is warning his people, look what Nineveh did to grace, don't make the same mistake. Like a lot of times, uh, scripture is almost forewarning some group of people, right? Like, this is what happens. This is what happens when you take grace for granted because Israel at this moment is in a critical part of its history. At this time already, the northern part of Israel has been taken and captured. They're already, the Assyrians had already captured them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Within some time after this book, Babylon's going to come in and and take over, but then Babylon's going to go and raid the rest of it and then take them captive. That's where we see the story of like Daniel and a few of the other things that we've talked about. And they'll be there for 70 years, kind of like what we talked about in Haggai. But then that's their judgment for their wickedness, right? That's for their constantly running to other gods, constantly serving other gods, and chasing after them and living life their way, they're going to go into exile. So this warning of this book is beautiful because it comes in and it says, when you come out of that, don't make the same mistakes that Nineveh did, that when they were shown the grace of God, don't fall into these same patterns and then go back to living the way you wanted to. And looking at that
2: warning that goes out, for me kind of, uh, how you're saying, it was written to Israel... And we even get that in chapter 1, verse, what is it, 15? It says, Look to the mountains to the feet of the one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for the wicked will never again march through you. They will be utterly cut off. Um, so yeah, it's written to them. But when I mean, we take something like this and we're chewing on it, we're studying it, we're trying to find principles in it, try and find out who God is and how to relate to him. Uh, you said earlier, how did you word it? You're you're kind of saying what we do with grace and then because there's consequences for Mm -hmm. our actions. And when we see how God, God can definitely just interject with miraculous things. He can come bring a specific person in to do a thing. If you were to take a secular look at what happened here, it's like, oh yeah, you have an empire that overextended. They were completely brutal. They made enemies. Those enemies came and got them, right? Yeah. And I think that, we can take or I, I do often is that I can take a look at that with consequences for my actions is that there are things that I do that can be building up consequences against me that God's grace is holding back and he's trying to be patient and by his spirit and by his word and by, you know, different circumstances of people trying to make me aware of those things to turn away from those things. But ultimately like when God allows the judgment, I've heard it said that basically he removes his grace It's his grace that keeps us safe and keeps things at bay. But when he removes his grace, then basically we're fair game for the calamity that surrounds us. And so that's when kind of looking at this and and teaching through it is, it is the thing of when you're turning against God, when you're not responding to grace, you are... What's the phrase about like hanging yourself with your own rope or something?
1: Oh, I I don't know, but I get what you're saying. You know what I'm talking about? You've
2: like, you've made your own noose, something like that. yeah, yeah. And... For so often, that's
1: how it goes. Yeah, I I like that analogy. Uh, I thought of like a dam, right? That's blocking Mm -hmm. the water from raging through. And so that's what grace would be is like a dam. And then once that dam is released, judgment comes rushing over you.
2: Yeah, I found another verse just, again, on the grace side. Uh, Nahum 2, verse 2. For the Lord will restore the splendor of Jacob like the splendor of Israel, though the destroyers have laid them waste and ruined the branches of their
1: vine. Yeah, I really did like that verse too in chapter 2. Uh, because really it's just God restoring the splendor, right, of Jacob of Israel. And then what does it say? Though destroyers have laid them waste and ruined their vines, that God will restore them. And again, this is God kind of just this promise that is going to come through, that is going to be fulfilled, that like Israel and Judah will be restored, that although right now things are tough, God can restore everything for our lives. And, and that was like one of the small, because of this book being such a, uh, a heavy, gloom that's so hard to just find, like, really, where's the encouraging line? It looks like there's one sentence per chapter. Yeah. <laughs> like, like From <laughs> what I'm seeing, there's like the end of chapter one, the beginning of chapter two, and then the end of
2: chapter yeah. three. Like, that's all that that's you're getting. That's
1: all you're getting from Nahum is one, uh, one encouraging line out of everything. And, and so for me, I really did like that. I did like that, uh, uh, that God really wants us to remember that that like He can restore, He can rebuild as long as you stay faithful to Him. And I think that that's part of this too is
2: when we're seeing throughout the scripture, God does things for his own namesake. Mm-hmm. And what we remember about Israel is like, yeah, they're the chosen people. He's not against disciplining them, but he has made promises and he's going to keep those promises again because that's who he's, it, he is and he's not going to go back on a promise. Whereas these other nations are trying to seek after these gods, trying to like manipulate them into their favor god is a good god and he's you know keeps the promises and when we see through assyria what we see through babylon what we see through egypt even before right and all of these things is there is the promise that jesus will come that the messiah will come going back to the ultimate grace Mm -hmm. right and we look at why restore these people and then even how restore these people is that really when we look at the restoration of this and going through all of this crazy brutality there's always a remnant right and when we look at like what makes it through this like there's the remnant there is the faithful god god doesn't destroy the faithful because of the unfaithful right so when we're looking at how does this thing keep moving forward even when we're looking at these places of these little slivers of hope throughout the book right that's really dependent on from what i can tell in reading this and the other books is like a small amount of people who are faithful that he's going to continue to work through, that he's not
1: abandoning them. It's almost like he's uh, the idea of like he's going to bless them as they come out of it, right, to restore and and the vines that were destroyed that would be kind of replanted and regrown. Uh, But I like what you're talking about, that uh, the ultimate blessing, like how do we keep that line or the ultimate grace? How did that line keep going? Well, he had to restore Judah and Israel. I mean, sure, it's God. He could have come up with another way. But the promise was our Savior would come through this lineage, that it would come from this line. And I think we talked about it in Haggai, the, the restoration of that line when uh, one of who, I can't remember who it was, took back over as governor, was the restoring of the Davidic line. Uh, so at this point, if you're like, are you trying to remember the name? Zerubbabel is the priest, and who's the governor? Joshua? Why do I want to say Joshua? Uh, I think you might be right. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like, how he restored that line, and, and again, the encouraging thing is that this is in between verse two is in between. this like, an army is coming against Nineveh. Here's this. It is Joshua. Mm-hmm. All right. And then, uh, then it keeps describing the army and what they look like and how they're going to come and attack Nineveh. And in here it's saying like, "Hey, there's restoration, there's hope, there's promise for those who are faithful." Uh, for me, looking at this book, it was really looking at the history and the time frame of Nahum that it was probably one of the more darkest times for Israel's history. The The upper part, the northern part, was already conquered. You know, they were already taken. They were already destroyed. They, they had sent the poorest of poor to Samaria, right? And in that, they even incorporated some of the more people, people from other captured nations. So now they have this, like, kind of little colony of just the most despised people, in your sense. That's why you see in the New Testament where we get... The samaritan and the story of the good samaritan that uh the samaritans were despised upon because their bloodline wasn't pure they weren't pure israelites and then uh it so it looks bleak and in here god's saying i'm going to restore things uh it, it just for me personally looking at this verse it just kind of tells me that uh things can't always be going great and sometimes things don't always aren't always great uh, but if i stay faithful to god he's faithful to me yeah
0: The Anger Emporium is back to tell you about our brand new room to deal with your pent-up anger. It's the Destroy the Empire Room. This room features state-of-the-art technology that allows you to custom build an ancient empire. From there, you choose how to destroy it from our many options, like fire down from the sky, flooding it, earthquakes, pelt it with filth, or unleashing an army to destroy its buildings, temples, and idols. Strike the empire down with holy justice and feel the freedom of peace as your anger dissipates. The Anger Emporium is centrally located by the I-5, 101, 233, 15, and 405 highway and adjacent to the Beef Gristle Mill. So come on down and release that unrighteous anger and leave holy. It's the Anger Emporium. Anger Emporium. Anger Emporium. Come on down today.
2: Amen to that last part. Um, Just a side note, an interesting thing. We're watching with um, The Young Adults Belong, season two of The Chosen. Mm -hmm. and I forget if it's the first episode or the second episode. I think it's the second episode they are traveling through and it really has to do with samaritans and different things and you get the flip side to the good samaritan story i won't ruin it because it's really well worth watching but when you just seeing the disciples how they were viewing the samaritans and just kept cracking like just jokes about it and just didn't want to be there and stuff is like you guys are like kind of racist. Like they yeah, really are just yeah. like pushing it to that. So just to get more of a cultural view that might like really make sense. i I recommend going and watching that episode just for anybody who's listening and chosen is great. There was like the storytelling and the writing in that is good. Um, yeah, I can see when you're looking for being able to preach this to general. Mm-hmm. And when I'm reading through and seeing again, you're looking at Nineveh, which again is an empire. And then, uh, Chapter three, verse eight: Are you better than Thebes, stationed by the Nile with water around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was water? Cush in Egypt were her boundless strength; Put in Libya were her allies. Yet she she became an exile; she went into captivity. When I'm reading this, it's like this isn't really a like where I can pull principles. Like I was saying, hey, God's judgment comes in and his patience runs out. It's there are some messages that get preached to empires. They get preached to those in power because honestly, like, like I was saying, I can walk around and not love people and I'm going against God's will and there's that, but I'm really pulling like a principle out of this to get to that point. What this is, is just look at the empires, look at the corporations that are running countries, look at like what's going on on those levels in our world today. This is kind of what gets preached towards them. In my opinion, you know, and there's a lot to where where I see in preaching and in Christianity and stuff is like we want to almost make everything the fault of your average Joe. When all throughout scripture, it's like, no, there are things happening on the bigger scale that, yeah, you might be taking part of it. You might be complicit in it. You might be on the receiving end of it. But there's the go and preach these things to those that are making this happen on this scale. And that's what I get through this. I'm bringing up Thebes and all of the allies, right? And where the strength is coming from, the different things. And it's like, you brought up North Korea, or I brought up the ISIL nations, or we can bring up any number of things where it's like, I think that we need to incorporate this into our thinking of empire and nation. Um, and if empire, I think we talked about this before. Um, empire isn't really a word that we use today, right? Like, oh, yes, the British Empire. That mm-hmm. was once a superpower right? If you look at superpowers in the world, God's patience runs out with them. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really a thing to look at whatever country you're living in to see, you know, not just the, well, what's the ideals that we have built up around our country? What's the good things that we all want to believe about our countries? What's the things that we want to believe or that we see on some level with like the people around us, but it's like, no, no, no. What's the actual things taking place in the world as a result of, you know what these empires are doing because god is still god and when we look at the what i call like the world stage mm-hmm. as things are playing out god is still involved and i think that we can if we, all that we do is watch the news and watch secular things and see all those things and we're just like oh no the stock market's doing this thing or this thing's doing this thing or what's behind inflation and what's going on and all of that conversation is devoid of god it's like, mm, is anybody paying attention to books like Nahum? And maybe we're realizing God's patience is running out. Judgment is coming upon wicked nations who have been doing wicked things. And maybe not the good ideals that we want to think about our nations, but the things that actually take place, all of the false flag wars and all of the just murdering of children and of funding things over here and of just super oppressing people and things that happen. It's like we tend to not talk about those things in churches so much. It's so much focused on the individual who's sitting in the seat. But a lot
1: throughout the Old Testament, it's talking on this scale. I really like like, the first chapter is um, the power of God. And it's just describing his power, right? What he can do, what he's capable of to come against these empires and these nations, these wicked people. And when he comes against them in his judgment it's his justice it's really what's happening mm-hmm. right like we that whole verse 3 of chapter 1 is just like the whole like we've talked about john 316 of the old testament slow to anger like the patience crazy how many times that's come up in this yeah. in the series uh, the patience he has that you're saying with people the patience the patience and the patience that he has to constantly just say okay i'm giving them time i'm giving them time to repent this happens i'll give them time to repent and where nineveh we see a specific time where they were actually a message was given to them and that they were given that time that it didn't stick. And so mm-hmm. the patience just ran out. And then now here's justice. Here's where God has to be his justice. God, uh, verse three, chapter 3, verse 6 is uh, interesting to me. I read it last week and I didn't really catch it. But like it says, uh, I will pleat you with filth and I will treat you with contempt.
2: I'll make a spectacle of
1: you. Yeah, and I, I didn't catch what pelting you with filth. Yeah, pelting yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. I will pelt you with filth. It's like, I'm going to throw some stuff at you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm throwing crap at you. <laughs> yeah. In in the descriptive Tory way of writing this this oracle, because again, it's an oracle and vision, right? So it's a lot of descriptive Tory language. I'm going to give words. Uh, but it's basically like in this language, it's like the, the stuff is going to fall and it's going to come at you guys. Uh, and that's my justice is that this is where I'm coming at that it needs to happen. But It is real hard to, in a sense, to look at Nahum and be like, like you're saying, how do we teach this to people? How do we preach this? And and I kind of just, I came at it as more of the warning for myself as an individual, as a person. And I totally agree with you. Like, this is a book to uh, empires, right? Because it's Mm -hmm. that dark warning of you're an empire that fell. Uh, But I took it as a warning for myself. If I didn't really fully comprehend God's grace and I just went back to living with my own lifestyle and started doing my own things, then justice is going to come. And I may not be happy with that justice, but I was given the opportunity to change. Um, And it's just so interesting that today in in, in today's age, you're almost looking at like, I don't want grace because I just want to live my way. I want to do things for me. I want to go back. Like like I was saying, they they, they didn't destroy their temples. And even if you look at the Israelites, right? When the Israelites were, uh, when a good king came, it mm-hmm. was destroy all the false gods. Destroy yep. and bring worship back to God and where it belongs. Uh, but they still wanted to worship their way and do things how they wanted. It was like, I'll take a little bit of what you have to offer. I'm sorry. So I don't face the consequences that I'm going to face today. But who cares about what consequences are going to come tomorrow? Um, and It is that concept that we just want to live for ourselves. And it's it's crazy to me how people could look at having a relationship with God as not true freedom, Mm -hmm. that it's restrictive, right? It's binding. Once you come into religion or Christianity, you're now bound by these rules and these laws. And it's like these rules and laws are actually there to protect you from the bad that can come into your life. Like for the most part, even within the world, they know like, hey, if you have... Uh, unprotected sex you're at risk of getting an std but the way the bible frames it up is get married have a wife and only have that intimate relationship with mm-hmm. your wife or your husband why so that that spreading of that disease that could come yeah. wouldn't wouldn't hit you
2: yeah i don't think that's the main purpose but it definitely yeah. but it the, it fixes that issue right
1: it's there but it's no for everyone else it's like that's restrictive you're you're pulling yeah. me
2: in there's um just when you talk about everyone wants to do their own it's proverbs 14 12 there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way of death or destruction Mm -hmm. because yeah i want to do my thing it seems right to me i'm going to go after it and like what scripture comes in is as you're saying it's protective these things because like hey the thing that you might think to go after like yeah it ends in destruction and we look at the protection of god and what we get through jesus's commands and just the life that he gives If you're looking at it as a restrictive life, then you're probably not understanding the dangers of the things that you want to do. And also, whenever people look at it as a restrictive thing, I I always wonder, which of the things that God wants you to do do you have a problem with? Are you having a problem with loving your neighbor? Mm -hmm. Are you having a problem with not committing adultery? Do you want to lie? Do you want to steal? Mm -hmm. Do you want to have anger in your heart towards other people? Like, which of these things is it? are you, like, really pinning it down? Like, I don't know. I I can't do that God thing. Like, it's restrictive. It's like, which one of these things do you have a problem with? Like, is living like Jesus really a problem to you? (laughs)
1: Like, uh, I don't know. Yeah. I really think that comes down to the boiling question of it, right? Like, it's what is it that you don't like? Because a lot of times, uh, gosh, who... I think it may have been said in a leaders meeting we had with pastor. But a lot of times uh, like even church I think he was talking about church separations um and a lot of times they don't boil down to like biblical things. Mm-hmm. They boil down to personal things. Like right, that was pers- on Saturday's meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Personal issues are the biggest reason for things. So I I feel like a lot of times like yeah, maybe the church isn't the best reflection of who Jesus is. But your problem then isn't with Jesus. Right. It's with the church. And none of us are saying like get to know me so that way you can be a better person. It's get to know Jesus so you can be who he's called you to be. I'm glad that you brought it back around to that, because we're talking on a personal level,
2: like getting to know Jesus and like that that's what it is. Um, But I was thinking earlier when we were talking about things just happening within Nahum and within the empire and what's there is that when we're looking at things on an empire or a nation scale, or I mean, really, yeah, a nation is made up of individuals, but when we look at it, the goal for the nation and what we saw with Nineveh, with Jonah, was that they turned to God. Mm-hmm. Like it's turning to God includes the repenting from the other things, right? It's not just like, hey, let me come in and fix your behavior. That's not what Jonah was coming in. Like, yeah, he came to, to talk about the wicked things, but he was saying there's wicked things, but God is going to come in and judge you for it. And they turn to God with repentance. And when we look at that still the plan, On the nation scale and on the personal scale is I don't think that the goal is like, well, let's legislate everything to being It's like, no, the goal is for the nation to turn to God. I don't Mm -hmm. care what nation, the goal is for the nation to turn to God which means that the individuals in the nation are turning to God, which means that those individuals in the nations are doing what you said. They're going and tearing down the false idols. They're closing down those shops. They're stopping those behaviors. They're selling or burning those things, right? They, as a people, are turning to God in repentance. And that's the goal is turn to God. I don't know. Just for me, that's a big thing coming from this is that turn to God because God offers grace. And we see positive in Jonah,
1: but... When you're not
2: turning to God, you get Nahum.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I actually turned to Jonah real quick because it's one book away from it. Yeah. Uh, And the king said, let everyone call urgently. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And who knows? Who knows? And it's just, it is crazy to me. And I guess I'm trying to piece together from what I have in the Bible and history of how they went from there to time's up. And that's where ultimately I think we both landed on a few things. God is powerful. God judges. uh, And God is just. And then stay faithful because if you stay faithful, there's restoration for you, even in calamity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think with those four things, you can see not see a good picture, but you could see what the message was, that, that God is just.
2: Yeah, and when you're saying, um, how did they get there, you know, mm-hmm. from kind of the repentance into the thing, because I'm preaching on Daniel 3, with uh, the guys getting tossed on the fire, right, mm-hmm. and you got Nebuchadnezzar, you have multiple times with Nebuchadnezzar, and we talked about it yeah. back when we did the episode, is that Nebuchadnezzar gets confronted with God, something happens, and God reveals himself, and there will be somewhat of a recognition of god as the most high or you know that kind of thing happening but then the very next chapter he's back to just being the king of babylon yeah. you know what i mean yeah, and, and ruling that him. way and it's just like it happens and he's like oh yeah god and then next thing he's like i'm gonna kill everybody and then it's just like hey god is the most high and here's some of the servants it's like oh man that's awesome next up like next episode i'm gonna kill everybody and you know just ruling like that and to where The purpose of the grace and God revealing himself, like it's got to go beyond a recognition. They're like, oh yeah, God is good. It has to come into the submission. Yeah, there you go. It's not just the recognition, it's the submission. Because yeah, I can know about God. I can know that God's good. I can look at things in my life and be like, man, he's literally kept me alive and there's been other things that happened. But if I'm not going to submit to following him, then I'm way more likely to end up between Jonah to Nahum. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? That, like, that's what it is. It's like, there was a recognition, there was the repentance, but it's like... What followed? D- yeah, d- did submission follow that?
1: Yeah, I like that. I-, I was even thinking when you were saying that, that like, where is it in the Bible where he talks about, um, eventually, he just turns us over to our wicked ways? In Romans? I believe so. Um, that, yeah, I think that's Romans one. Yeah, that, you know, eventually, you know, we could just keep going and going on a path in a direction that if we're not completely turning to God and, and going that way, that like, yeah, we just, we end up going the way we're going and that's where justice has to come in. That's where uh, the hammer does drop. Uh, almost going back to like the idea of Pharaoh, right? Like we've talked about like Pharaoh's heart being hearted and that's such a hard pill to swallow because sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his heart and then sometimes it said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But really, I think, I don't know if we talked about it, but I heard it somewhere where it's like, eventually, you know, like working out, like if you're lifting weights, you develop calluses, mm-hmm. right? And then those calluses, you don't feel anything, right? They right. just they become numb. Uh, that that's kind of what the idea of the hardening of heart of Pharaoh's heart was—that yep. it became so callous that he didn't even see what he was doing as wrong anymore. And it, I guess, in the presumptuous way, I would look at it as Nineveh almost being the same way.
2: Yeah, I absolutely I could see it that way.
1: Yeah. And I can
2: draw the personal parallel to that because that is what sin does. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what willingly going against God in the small steps, turning into the big steps, turning into the habitual steps and all of that stuff. It's the things that you used to be able to feel or think or, you know, about that. You just don't. Mm -hmm. Like I've personally experienced that. And it's a it's a hard spot because you might have the thought of, oh, man, how did I get here or I know that I shouldn't be here? But the thing that should make you care about that doesn't care. And yeah. that's scary. And that's why it gets hard to repent. I think that's where Hebrew talks about like it's hard for somebody who's known the truth, who's left the truth to come back into repentance because it, it's it without the grace of God coming in and giving you that gift and really restoring your heart. It's hard because you can sit there all day long and in your own power and not be able to change a thing because you just don't care anymore. hmm. Yeah. It's scary. I've, I've been there. I don't, I don't want to be there. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's not good. Uh, yeah, uh, for me, I, I guess I got at the end of this is just don't take grace for granted. You know, if, if God's coming to your life, take it serious. I, I, I get sometimes, and I know personally for myself, there are things that I still struggle with. And, I, and I've really thought of David lately where, you know, we've talked about David outsinned Saul. Mm-hmm but Saul went totally on a different path. It was because Saul constantly ran away from God as where David would always come back to God. Yeah,
2: of everything, David never went after idols and other gods. Right. He stayed with Yahweh, and that's what faith
1: is. It's allegiance to Yahweh, even though we're humans that screw up. Uh, that's where I like, look at this and I think, it—you know I, yeah, don't take grace for granted. Sometimes in my life, I know I take grace for granted, but one of my big prayers lately has been to not to really understand what this is. Um, John Newton said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be, but still I'm not what I used to be. Mm -hmm. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. What song did John Newton write? I want to say Amazing Grace, but that's usually the first thing that comes to my head.
2: I think it is. Yeah, he wrote Amazing Grace. And when he's talking about not what I used to be, he used to run slave ships. Yeah. So he knows about a transformed life they are talking, hey, Amazing Grace. He's the guy that there wrote it. it yeah, is. That we
1: got Grace wrapped it up with that quote that I totally knew he wrote the song Amazing Grace. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's really everything I got from Nahum. Um, that was I just, God helping. Yeah, <laughs> that was God helping me out there. I really do just see it as a, it's a book that is, uh, I guess now looking at it from like the perspective I've had to, I get why people say it was hard to chew, why it wasn't referenced a lot, Um, because who wants to preach vengeance in this sense, right? But it's it's, it's, it's a necessity because if we forget that God is powerful, then we don't think he's powerful and we want to do what we want to do. And I think that's where we kind of, this, this it's this inner tug of war. Who's more powerful, me or God? And when you're an empire, you think you're powerful. Everything that we talked about the Assyrians did before Jonah got there, that's how they got their power. That's how they took and conquered and became what they became. Um, so why not lean back on your own strengths when it's worked for so long? And and just because something's working or something makes you feel powerful doesn't mean it's from God. Um, because ultimately God's going to show who's stronger.
2: So I'm sensing that you're trying to bring it towards the end of the episode, but this might launch you off into something. Is it when we're looking on the nation side and going to things that we've talked about throughout other episodes, but when you have the leader of the nation and when you have these gods that are involved, is that it was way more real for them than I feel like it is for us today, Mm -hmm. especially when you have these territorial gods and you have when you're going out and conquering. Like It wasn't just, oh, I have a good army. It's my god is destroying your god. My god is better. My god is giving me power. Your god sucks. I'm in power and I'm basically unstoppable because my god is right and he's just like my god is giving me power and sometimes i don't know if it was this way with assyria but a lot of times it was like the king being the god king right and being kind of filled with and the representative there i know that that was with pharaoh pharaoh was supposed to be the representative and uh different rituals that would go on to kind of make that happen so that's where when you have these empires that think that they have power because they're going out and conquering it is a spiritual thing that's where you see god getting involved in the book of nahum even though he's not really calling it out here like he does with egypt when he says i'm bringing judgment on the gods that's definitely what's at play you know god is establishing himself as the god of gods as the lord of lords as the lord of heaven's army who does exact justice But when I think about how you were bringing up grace and just how much we've talked about from Jonah to Nahum and what happened between is really the idea that whenever God brings deliverance into your life, it's on us to make sure that it's followed up with discipleship. Mm -hmm. Because if you have deliverance without discipleship, then you're not being filled up with what needs to be there. Um, it's what Jesus talks about when he says like, Hey, you know, you can have a, a demon in your life and you kick him out and it goes and wanders around. But if it comes back and finds that house empty, it's going to bring seven demons that are even crazier than it is. And will come back and inhabit you and your later state will be worse than the first. And that's what happened here with Nineveh, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you have judgment going to come upon them and they repented. They cleaned up for however long they cleaned up, but they didn't fully turn to God. And obviously their latter state was worse than their first because judgment came in. So yeah, I really think that wherever there's deliverance in any form in life, we need to make sure that discipleship falls in that we're submitting to Jesus in those areas and that that's where we'll see the sustained life. Deliverance wasn't the end in and of itself. The deliverance was for God to show himself and to call you and give
1: you the opportunity to get to him. A grace is God presenting himself to you. Uh, Working grace is then you being obedient to him and Mm -hmm. working through it and living through it. Uh, One of the things I want to touch on, and then, yeah, I'll be done. When you were talking about uh, Assyria and this great power and, like, nations and and all this, and their gods, right? It was that their gods gave them victory. Mm -hmm. Um, Our buddy, uh, what was his name again? Shineshareb. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, All right, him. Uh, When he is threatening Judah, this is what he says to them. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me, come out to me, then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistron until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered the land from the hand of the king of Assyria. Where are the gods of Hamath or Arpad? Where are the gods of some other places that I'm not going to try to pronounce? (laughs) Have they rescued Samaria from my hands? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hands? Mm -hmm. So right there, right? That's exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah. Yeah. Why is he saying this? Why did they turn? Why did, because what other God stopped them? Well, what happened? Yeah, it's not like, <laughs> yeah. hey, where's your king and your army? Uh-huh. It's like, which Wh- God? Which God? And, and so uh, eventually what happens is that they ran into God, mm-hmm. the God. And, and I think it's important for us to understand there's like distinctions that, that our God is the God. And that that's why when you get into that, I will restore Judah, like this is be faithful to him. Things aren't always going to be good. Uh, God necessarily doesn't always want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy. Mm -hmm. And because of that, sometimes things get rough and difficult. But if we stay faithful to Him, He protects us. He guides us. And by His power and His justice and His judgment, He comes in. And what other people challenge and say, what other gods have stopped us? And, And today we don't hear that, right? What other gods have stopped us from this? But they say, live for yourself. Do it. Because it's fun. It's good. What harm can it do? And God's saying, stay faithful, because it does bring harm. It does bring justice. Like you were saying, discipline. That that then is me saying that I'm going to be a disciple of God. That means I'm going to follow. I'm going to do, I'm going to live for him. One of the big things I think we struggle with the most is the idea that uh, dying to myself literally means, or denying and dying to myself literally means, whatever I thought brought me pleasure, I have to crucify it. And then which isn't
2: then, to mean that life is going to be miserable because no, God brings joy yeah. but it's just God has to like kill those things mm-hmm. so that kill what's dead so that what's alive can actually become alive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's all I got. That that's how I I'm I'm going to wrap this one up. I think I said that twice already so like a true preacher yeah, but I knew that if I brought in that God's thing, that that would...
2: I'm glad that you brought that up, because I, I read that last week when you were talking. I don't know if we read that on the episode. No, we didn't. I but mentioned it. I was reading it, yeah. it myself when you brought it up, and I was like, oh, we should talk about that, and then we didn't. So I'm glad that you brought it back, because it's, yeah, it's right on point there. So just in response to staying faithful to God and submitting Him and all this stuff, I was like, well, what confidence can we have here? It's like, this isn't the main reason, but to just think about... We're still here talking about Yahweh. We are Mm -hmm. here talking about King Jesus. It's 2022, and there are millions and hundreds of millions and billions of people who are worshiping Yahweh. Who's worshiping Dagon? Who's worshiping Marduk? Who's worshiping Baal? Like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I know that there are some people trying to revive, like, Norse paganism and stuff. It's like, okay, you read a thing, and you're trying to bring that back. But all these other gods that think that they could square up against Yahweh right no and I think that just in again it's not the main thing but when we see that Yahweh has literally lasted from Genesis until now he's the one that's proven to be true he's the one that's proven be eternal and have everlasting life to be the almighty Again, it's not the biggest thing but something to consider because I know that people say well there's Allah, or, you know, there's the different Hindu gods and different stuff. It's like, okay, yeah, there
1: there are still those, but you get what I'm saying? It's uh, Nahum 1.14. The Lord has commanded concerning you, Nineveh. uh, You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the carved images and cast idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. A lot of times the people, when they make these idols to worship, it was for the reason of that this idol. They knew that the that that idol wasn't the God, but that that God would
2: like inhabit, inhabit, or yeah, embody, yeah. yeah, whatever. Yeah,
1: and so uh, again, when we look at this, right? What is the battle that we've seen throughout the Old Testament? Idolatry. Idolatry, and what is God doing? Destroying gods after gods after gods of other nations. Um, it 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 is. A stark warning for us that Nahum presents that whatever we put up as idols, right, in our lives, God wants to destroy because he won't play second fiddle. He wants to be number one. And that's what he desires, to just be number one in our life. And it's not that hard. It really isn't that difficult. Uh, but it means we have to give up so much of what we thought we, we could. There are so many things that I could <laughs> say, but you've tried to end
2: the episode so many times. Do I say it or do I leave it?
1: I say it and then I'll end the episode.
2: Yeah. Don't respond. I can't respond. Yeah. 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 Just end it. You've already said your last thing four times. When you look at these idols, like you were talking about, what they would do is because that was a physical representation that they would be able to basically commune with the spirit realm. Like, cool, here's a pathway, so to speak, a little gate. So it's like, I'll put food before the idol or I'll do this. And like, that was the way of connecting with that spirit being. Human beings are the ones that are made in the image of God. We are to be the idols of Yahweh Mm -hmm. on this earth, in his temple. And that when we love and care for other human beings, what we're setting before these human imagers of Yahweh. And I think that that's where the commandment comes in. And it's like, yeah, we're not supposed to have any of these man-made idols and stuff. We're supposed to love God and love others. And just that concept of, yeah, we're not taking care of little pieces of wood so that we can communicate with some God and hope for like a good time and for prosperity. We get to love other imagers and know that rather than us trying to take care of God, we have a God that flips the script and takes care of us, which is really cool. Yeah. But just don't bring up anything new because I'm going to want (laughs) to like, my brain will go, I have something in that category.
1: Let me say it. Yeah, no, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done too. I bit my tongue. Uh, all right. I am Chris. <laughs> I'm Yurda. Th- We're your church friends. Thanks for listening.
0: Habakkuk. Nahum. Obadiah. Jude. Philemon. Haggai.